The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Let me invite you to take your scriptures this morning and go to Exodus chapter 33, please. Exodus chapter 33. And today we'll be looking at verses 12 through the end of the chapter, verses 12 through 23. The Bible says, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hits. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we love you today. We thank you for the privilege once again to open the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for this place and the preeminence and the prominence that it's given to Scripture. Lord, please help me today to the best of my ability to clearly, accurately, and interestingly present the truth of this passage. Lord, I pray that you'll have freedom in our hearts to accomplish what you want to accomplish today. Lord, I pray that your Spirit will have the ability to penetrate us and to give us assurance in these days of turbulence and transition. We ask this all in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. In just a few short days, another semester at Pensacola Christian College will come to a close. And for all of us, it will be a time of transition. Some of you will be transitioning out of classes. You'll be staying here on campus and you'll be working. Others will go home and they will be working there to save money for the next semester. Some of you will be walking across this platform in just a few days and you'll be receiving your various degrees. Some of you in preparation for going on to grad school. Some of you for placement in a job that you may have already secured. 
Others, you're not quite sure what's going to happen because you're still waiting for answers to prayer in that regard. But regardless of where we go or what transitions we make in life, you understand that all of us need the presence of God. And as Moses said in this passage, Lord, if your presence go not with me, I don't want to go. You understand that regardless of where we go in life, we must never go there as practical atheists. Many of us are theoretical theists. We believe in the existence of God. We could maybe even through apologetics classes be able to present the ontological, teleological, cosmological, cause and effect arguments for God. But practically every day, sometimes we function as if God is not there. But you and I need God today. I want us to think, first of all, today about the hindrances of ministry that necessitate our need of God, the hindrances of ministry. First of all, there's the load of weariness. Notice that God has asked Moses in verse 12 to bring up this people. Now, we've often made the terminology, it's all downhill from here. Well, in Moses' situation, it's not all downhill from here. It's all uphill from here. God's asking him to bring these people up. Just the idea of ascendancy carries with it the idea of a weight, of a load. It's always easier to walk down the stairs than it is to walk up the stairs. This is difficult when you consider the volume of people that will be going. I mean, this is no small group Bible study. We're talking millions of people. The volume of the task is overwhelming. And not only is the volume of the task overwhelming, but the character of the people is also, oh my. He not only says, bring up this people, he says, bring up this people. These people have been characterized by murmuring and complaining and My goodness, it would be difficult to even bring up a volume of people who had good attitudes, but these people have not really had the best of attitudes. And it kind of reminds us of when Foghorn Leghorn marries Prissy, and he says, I won, I won, I won. And then he looks at her and he says, my soul thought of been some way I could have lost. Thought of been some way Moses would not be stuck with this group of people. But yet, God is asking him to do what seems to be an impossible task. And he says, Lord, I just don't have the strength to do this. The load of weariness. Not only is there the load of weariness, but notice secondly that there is the lack of wisdom. Not only has God asked him to do the impossible, God has not provided any manual. There is no bringing people into the promised land for dummies. There is no book that is written on how to do this. It is very entrepreneurial. And so Moses says to God, you have not let me know. And this idea is articulated again down in verse 16 when he says, how shall it be known that we have found grace in your sight? Moses seems to sense that he is in over his head when it comes to workable knowledge. I just don't know what to do or how to do it. I lack wisdom. I'm reminded years ago when I was in Bible college, the Christian film Twice Given was made. My roommate in college was an actor in that film. It was about the life of evangelist Tom Williams. And 
Tom Williams' wife had gone into a state of very severe declining health and she couldn't articulate. And one of the girls went in, she had, one of her daughters went in in the film, she had two, two applications to two colleges and she didn't know which one to apply to. And she says, Mama, I, I need you. Which one do I do? Which one do I do? Sometimes we just don't feel like we know what to do or how to do it. And we not only have the load of weariness, but we have the lack of wisdom. He talks thirdly about the limitation of workers. Moses wants to know, who are you going to send with me? Who's going to help me out with this regard? And it becomes evident that even as they go forward, the more forward they go, the more isolated they are going to become. To put it another way, it's lonely at the top. And the further you go with God in this world, the more separated you're going to find yourself from people. And even in a crowd, you can be all alone. Often we talk about separating from the world, but I got news for you that as the executive vice president of my Bible college used to say, he said that if you just live for God, you won't have to worry about separating from the world. The world will separate from you. And more often than not, we find ourselves simply because we have chosen to function according to a biblical worldview that we're out of step with the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Sketabites and the Electric Lights. We find ourselves out of step with all of those people. And the deeper we go into the wilderness, the more we find ourselves part of the isolated people of God. And in just a few weeks, many of us will not have the props of Pensacola Christian College and all of the attendant fellowship of God's people that have been something to enjoy over this last semester. And we might go back home and find that things are not exactly as we remember them and we feel alone the limitation of workers. And I want to submit to you that the load of weariness and the lack of wisdom and the limitation of workers always leads to the lure of worry. Moses is very clear. He says in verse 12, God, I know your character, but yet there seems to be a disconnect between what he knows and what he senses. This is important because this often happens in our life. What we know and what we feel are not always the same thing. Notice God has promised him grace in verse 12, but though God has promised him grace in verse number 12, he questions the very grace that he's been promised in verse 13. Many times we know what is true, but what we feel doesn't seem to match what we know to be true. And this creates an intense amount of worry. Kind of reminds me of the little boy who was in Sunday school and the teacher said, I have a friend She said, my friend is brown and furry and has a big bushy tail and he hops around in the yard and picks up nuts in his mouth and hops up into the tree with these nuts and stores these nuts in the crevice of the tree for winter. Who is my friend? And a little boy in the back of the room raised his hand and he said, I know that the answer is Jesus but it sounds like a squirrel to me. And often there's a disconnect between what we know is the right answer and what we sense that the right answer is. And because what we know to be true and what we are feeling at the time disconnect with one another, we feel like we're going to freak out. 
And this creates an immense amount of anxiety. But as my famous seminary professor Warren Wiersbe used to always say in class, Christians do not function according to explanations. They function according to promises. Because you see, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Which brings us to our second point. Not only do we see the hindrances for ministry, but let's think then finally today about the help for ministry. If it is true that there is a load of weariness, and if it is true that there is a lack of wisdom, and if it is true that there is a limitation of workers, and if it is true that there will always be this lure to worry, what do we do? How do we find help? Let me suggest four things. First of all, the importance of prayer. When you and I struggle with the weariness of life, when we struggle with the wisdom issues of life, when we struggle with the loneliness of life, when we struggle with the anxiety of life, pray. The Bible says, be careful for nothing. Don't be full of care about anything. But by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding, the peace of God that doesn't even make sense, shall garrison, shall guard, shall keep. It's a military term. Do you ever feel like your brain's just going to ooze out your ears? You're losing your mind. And God doesn't want you to lose your mind. God wants you to keep your mind through Christ Jesus. And this all happens when we pray. So let me ask you a question. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? In the name of Christ our Savior, did you ask for love and favor as your guide and stay? Oh, how praying wakes the weary. Prayer can turn the night to day. So when life seems dark and dreary, don't forget to pray. The year was 1987. I graduated May 4th. I was ordained May 9th. I was married June 20th. I went back to the campus of Tennessee Temple to work at the radio station where my job was. And when I went back from my honeymoon, I went to my post office box. I turned the tumblers. I opened it. And there was a note for me to go see the executive vice president. I went in and I said, hi. And he said, Jeff, I got some news for you. The radio station's going with the Bible Broadcasting Network. I said, what does that mean? He said, that means you have to find a job in 30 days. A satellite dish is taking your job. I just got married. So I began to, you know, practice the biblical principle of why pray when you can worry. And I remember going to the head of pastoral studies and I said to him, Dr. Phillips, I've sent out these resumes. I've made these contacts. I've got these networks. I've, you know, put myself on these placement lists. Is there anything else that I should be doing? And I still remember his answer because it knifes me to this day. He said, well, you are praying, aren't you? And oh, the knife went in six inches and it turned. Because I was talking to everybody except the only person who could do something really about my problem. 
So when Moses stood at this threshold, he asked of God. He prays the importance of prayer. Think with me not only about the importance of prayer, but think with me secondly about the importance of promises. In the midst of all of this anxiety, God reiterates his promise to Moses. The promise is, Moses, I'm going to go with you. And as my presence goes with you, Moses, it will provide you with rest. You understand that the greatest promise in all the world is God's promise to you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You understand that the Bible promises us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Few things in this world can provide rest to your soul than the claiming of the promise that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It's interesting that in the midst of Moses' temptation to worry in this passage, God doesn't explain anything. Moses asks for an explanation. He says, Lord, who's going to go with me? Who are you going to send? How's this going to happen? I I need a manual. Lord, how? And the Lord doesn't explain any of that. The Lord just continues to promise what he's always promised. I'm going with you. You understand that when you and I are in the midst of anxiety, we just need to go back to the Word and read the promises again. God wrote His Word for you. The promises of God are there to be claimed. Claim them. The importance of prayer. The importance of promises. The importance of providence. There are times when we just need a simple glimpse of God's glory. Isn't it great that sometimes even an afterglow of God will help? God says, you're not going to see me face to face, Moses. You're only going to see my hinder parts. You're only going to see the afterglow. You're not going to get the full picture of me. You're just going to get a mercy drop. Isn't it great to know that sometimes God gives us just enough encouragement through his providence? Years ago, I was reading a commentary on Genesis by Derek Kidner, one of my favorite commentators, and he made this statement concerning Isaac digging the wells and the Philistines filling them in. He would dig a well, discover water, the Philistines would fill it in. He would dig a well, discover water, the Philistines would fill it in. And Kidner made this wonderful insight into that passage. He said, God gives us just enough water to keep us encouraged and just enough Philistines to keep us dependent. Isn't that a great statement? You understand that sometimes in life we need just that drop of water just to strike water a little bit so we know that God's there. And in the midst of all of the anxiety of life, in the midst of all of the turmoil of life, in all the midst of the projects and the tests, God just does a little mercy drop to let us know he's there. Oh, I love the way God orders providence to let us know. And then finally, I want to suggest this to you. 
that not only is there the importance of prayer and not only is there the importance of promises and the importance of providence, but there's also the importance of protection. Sometimes when we sense that God is adversarial to us, it is really that he's not adversarial at all. It's just he's there for our protection. I can imagine if I were Moses, I would have thought something like this. Why just an afterglow? I've given my whole life to you. Why, why, why the afterglow, God? Can I get the full picture? Shouldn't I be able to see you in your effulgence? I don't want to see just your backside. I'd like to see you face to face. God, I need you to really show up and show out. I need you to be God in all of his attendant fullness. And God says, no. If you saw all that, it'd kill you. So for your protection, you're going to go into the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by and you're going to see the afterglow because if I gave you everything that you're asking for, you'd be a greasy spot. You understand that many times what we think are denials in our life are protections that God sends our way. There are many times in our life where we are upset with God. You should have provided this, but if God had provided it, God in his infinite knowledge knows that if he had provided that, it would have been to our injury. It would have been to our hurt. And God, who is always kind and always good, sometimes not only blesses us by what he gives, sometimes he blesses us by what he denies. I'm so glad that sometimes the presence of God is seen in the absence of God. As far as I know, there's only one book of the Bible that doesn't mention God by name, and that's Esther. But isn't it interesting that in the book of Esther, God's on every page of Esther, even though he's never mentioned. His providence is so clearly there for the protection of the Jewish people. You remember the centurion at the cross, don't you? Jesus... For the only time that's recorded in Scripture, Jesus prays and doesn't address God as Father on the cross. He says, my God, my God. Every other prayer, he says, my Father. But here, he doesn't call him Father, and he dies saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And a centurion stands over there and says, now we know the truth. He's the Son of God. What? In the only prayer that he doesn't mention God as Father, that's when it's clearly obvious that the Son has a relationship with the Father. Why? Because sometimes the presence of God is seen in the perceived absence of God. It's for our protection. But the point I'm simply trying to make this morning is this, whether it's through prayer or whether it's through promises or whether it's through um, providence or whether it's through protection, Whatever means God chooses to show up, we need him to show up. Because if God doesn't go with us, Moses says, we can't go. There's too much to carry today if God doesn't carry you. You see, I can't carry what I have to carry if God doesn't carry me. Many years ago, I gave my life to you. I humbly asked your Lord to lead in all I do. But now the burden seems so heavy you've given me to bear. Before I press on any farther, I need to know that you're still there.
And if your presence goes not with me, Lord, I don't want to go. And if your spirit is not leading me, then Lord, I need to know. You've placed me here. I'll do your will, your love, I'll try to show. But if your presence goes not with me, Lord, I don't want to go. I don't know what's going to happen in just a couple of weeks when that last test is taken, when that last bell rings. For many of us, it will be a time of transition. I don't know where you're going, but I know who goes with you. And if he doesn't go with you, you don't want to go. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.